Here at Lady Farmer, we talk about so many different aspects of slow and sustainable living, a subject matter that can at times feel confusing, overwhelming, even misleading. And that's why a few years ago, we set out to write a book that might be a guide for those seeking a life of beauty, simplicity, and sustainability. We're thrilled to be able to offer you our own small guide for cultivating slow living, sustainable simplicity close to home available in our online marketplace. In the book, you've woven an easy-to-digest narrative of stories, recipes, tips, resources, ideas, and reflection. This collection of essays and resources will guide you to think about your own relationship to the planet, what you eat, what you wear, and how you live a sustainable lifestyle. It also contains a 21-day slow-living challenge of daily thought exercises to lead you in the process. For you Good Dirt listeners, we are offering free shipping of this wonderful little book with the code THEGOODDIRT in our online marketplace. So use the code THEGOODDIRT, T-H-E-G-O-O-D-D-I-R-T at checkout when you go to purchase your copy of The Lady Farmer Guide to Slow Living in our online marketplace for free shipping. That's The Good Dirt at The Lady Farmer online marketplace for free shipping on The Lady Farmer Guide to Slow Living. We hope you enjoy it. Thanks, everybody. Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. The good dirt means acknowledging that you are the good dirt. And there's no, like, good dirt outside of you. Mm. You have everything you need to make what you were born to make. And we often think, like, I need the secret or I need this mentor or I need this money. But actually, I mean, you two talk about it so much. It's like you're standing on the thing that you need. Like, the dirt is you. So you have what you need. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Good Dirt, old listeners and new. When you hear this, we'll be on break for the joyful occasion of Emma's wedding celebration. But don't worry, we think you'll enjoy what we've got in store for you. Yes, we've gone back and selected a few episodes that you don't want to miss, whether or not you've heard them before or are catching them for the first time. It's a reminder of what we were thinking and talking about two years ago when the world was in a very different place as was some of our sound technology, but that's okay. We love reflecting on how far we've come in so many ways, how we've evolved in our production, and how we've brought the inspiration from these past conversations forward into life as we know it today. So here we go with a retrospective episode from 2021 in its entirety, intro and all. So listen up now for some of the best of The Good Dirt. You're listening to the Good Dirt Podcast. This is a place where we dig into the nitty gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. And we're your hosts, Mary and Emma Kingsley, the mother and daughter founder team of Lady Farmer. We're sowing seeds of slow living through our community platform, events, and online marketplace. We started this podcast as a means to share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm, one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now. The farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. So come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now, let's dig in. Hello, Emma. How are you doing today? Really well. It's a really beautiful day out, and I've been doing a lot of digging and moving things around. According to the moon calendar, it's a good day for transplanting, so I am taking full advantage of that. And are, the, you're, are you transplanting things that you've started, or did you had you bought these plants, and what kinds of things are you planting? Some things I bought and need to be transplanted out of the pots. Some things... I have started from seed and need to be transplanted into the ground. 
And other things, I'm just moving around from one place to another. For instance, I found a spider wart in the middle of my raspberry thicket. I knew it wasn't going to get any sun this year because the raspberries have grown so much, so I moved it out. They do okay in the shade, but I thought I wanted it to be out where I could see it. And haven't you been doing a lot more for um, with native plants this year? Oh, yes. We've been researching and trying to find where we can get these um, plants that are particular to the area. Isn't that funny? That it, isn't that kind of ironic that you have to like track those down? <laughs> yeah. There, there's so many things that you have to really seek out. At least this year, um, most of the, the sales have been online. You look up the list of plants they have, decide what you want, go on at a certain time and try to get them before they sell out, kind of like buying concert tickets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's the 2021 yeah. concert tickets. Phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. The native, pl- the rush for native plants. You have the good dirt under your fingernails. I do. I have really good dirt under my fingernails. <laughs> <laughs> well, today we're talking about creativity and bringing your passions into the world. And it's a little off the path of our, our kind of our regular farmer fiber textile world. In the past couple of weeks, we've been doing a lot of um, slow fashion episodes, but I'm really excited about this episode. It's a little different. And um, I'm wondering what you would have to say, mom, about creativity and slow living and why why we would even be talking about this sort of thing on the Good Dirt podcast. I think creativity has everything to do with with the good dirt and slow living. And we talk about this in the episode. It's really the good dirt is when you think about good dirt in the literal sense, it's the foundation of everything. It has everything in it that things need to grow. So good dirt is creative. It is the creative substance on the earth, I think. I think you could say that. You think you think you can say that? I would agree with you. I also think that the good dirt, I mean, by itself, left in alone would do amazing things. But as humans, we have this amazing creativity and capacity to to do good things with the good dirt. So I think like allowing that creativity and being really in touch with that and the lessons that the dirt itself teaches us is so important in order to, to make progress and move move things forward. Yes, the part of it that's more metaphorical in terms of good dirt, in terms of our own life's work. And, and, and Liz says this in the episode, we have everything we need. It's a matter of allowing it, allowing things to take shape and and interesting that we do have everything we need. So the good dirt, the good dirt is giving ourselves the space and the time and the consciousness and the awareness to allow things to evolve. And that is slow living as well, I think. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. I would really agree with that. And so, yeah, I guess I'll just explain a little bit more who Liz is and um, the roots of this conversation. I didn't mean that as a pun, but I'll take it. Yeah. The roots of this conversation. Um, so Liz actually is has been a, a creative coach of mine, and she runs a collective of, of female-identifying, women-identifying um, artists and creatives. She's all about the collective becoming and, and living into your, your passions and your visions and, and creating the future. And in her bio, she actually says she's a creative catalyst. I love that word. Um, she's a writer, a coach, and a speaker. Um, she is devoted to bringing more women-driven stories, leadership teams, and art into the world. And she comes from a background of performing and directing. And so she comes from this this performing path. And we talk about it in the episode. We both, we share a background in ballet dancing, actually. So that was fun to chat about. And this conversation just meant a lot to me because I know her on a personal level and I've worked with her and it was really fun. I don't think you had met her before, mom. So it was really fun to kind of all get together. It really felt like three friends hanging out. It was really fun. It was such an enjoyable episode. You know, we we taped these things several weeks before they they go up. So this one I listened to today and it was so good. <laughs> I called a friend and said, you need to listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> 
Any other like takeaways that you want to leave people with before we get into the episode or do you want to just let them let them enjoy it? No, I think we should get to it and just really absorb this and see how it applies to your life. Yeah. Enjoy. In this moment in time, I'm actually in Sydney, Australia, which is not where my home home is, but I'm in Sydney. I'm on the land of the Gadigal people and they're of the Eora nation and it's unceded land. And my real home or home for now is in New Jersey. A funny thing about New Jersey is that when I was little, one of my biggest dreams was to move to New Jersey. I grew up in Philadelphia in just like the most non-conventional household. The kitchen was on the third floor of the house and all the bedrooms were on the bottom floors. My parents had a non-conventional marriage. My parents were these like experimental artists and I went to these really traditional schools. So everybody's parents were like a doctor and a lawyer and mine was a Renaissance musician and a multifaceted opera director and architect and many other things. So I just had this totally non-conventional wild upbringing And as so many of us do when we're little, all I wanted was normalcy. All I wanted (laughs) was to be in New Jersey. I just thought if I could get to central New Jersey. In my house, I was fed really weird, hippie food. (laughs) And like, all I wanted was white bread in New Jersey (laughs) and like a normal family. (laughs) So it's just funny now that I'm living in New Jersey, I feel like I'm completing this childhood dream. I'm in Northern New Jersey. It's it's not central, but it's funny. You know, we think we put these dreams into the universe at various points in our lives. And it was just, we're not in control of them. So it's fascinating. You manifested New Jersey. I manifested it. New Jersey is the gift that sort of keeps unfolding and unwrapping itself. Okay, so right now you're in Australia, but your home home is New Jersey. So So the other sort of dreams I had when I was little and what I was so clear about wanting from a very young age was that I wanted to be a ballerina and a cat and a CEO. And I just sort of felt it was really clear and it was very specifically those three things together. And then when I started traditional school, I felt this pull to just, you have to like choose one thing and you have to be known for this thing. And everybody sort of has their thing. And, and at that point I was getting really serious about ballet. So the beginning of my work actually really began in the ballet world. And I, I studied ballet and I know mm-hmm. we share that in common. For about 20 years, I was a ballet dancer. So I danced beyond when I went to college, but I thought at the time of going to college, that I was going to take this full scholarship to dance and that's what my career was going to be. And then in just like a total moment of life path crisis at a midnight before a decision was made for several years, I've been having this feeling like, I don't think this is right, Mm -hmm. but everybody knows me as this thing. And this is what I've been building toward. Those all kinds of things that happen in the ballet world, as I know, you know, that really messed with me psychologically. And I'm really grateful that I had the force in my teenage years. I did not have a lot of foresight, but I did sort of start to sense that it was really wrecking my relationship with my body. And I couldn't articulate it at that time, but both my body and my mental health were so compromised. And not that we couldn't figure out a way around that, but especially at the time that I was training, there was like zero awareness around that. And it was just like, Everyone dealt with their own private mental health and body challenges, but we weren't talking about it in training young artists. And so I was really suffering. So luckily, I just had this voice inside me that was like, this isn't right. And so I listened to that voice, was super curious about theater. And so ended up going to school for theater and I became an actor and a dancer and then a director for about the first decade of my career. And then I had like another sort of period of unbearable angst where you're just, you're feeling a pull towards something and you don't know what it is. And it's coming out as just like an epic operatic crisis of who you are and and where you're going. And so for several years, I was sort of in the middle of that. And I had started working for a coaching company and was starting to get curious about spaces and self-development and human expansion. That led to me getting certified as a coach and starting a business that I never in a million years thought I would start. 
And now I run a community for women creators. I have a coaching practice and I speak and I write. What I do now, actually, it's really interesting. You know, when I was growing up, I didn't know anybody who did what I did. Since my growing into adulthood and into the world, like the coaching industry has exploded. The online space is the space that wasn't a career when I was growing up. I'm really kind of on the edge of my seat with your story. It's really interesting. It really resonates. Emma, I'm going to tell the story of when you were a dancer and you were off at some summer intensive thing for like nine weeks or something. It was really long. And you kind of called me towards the end of it in tears. And you said, is it okay if I don't become a dancer? Like she was asking me if it was okay. Like she had set up this thing in her head that this is what she wanted to do. And everybody around her thought that's what she wanted to do too. So she was like asking my permission to let go of that dream. Do you remember that moment, Emma? That's intense. Yeah. Is that how you remembered it from your perspective? No. I mean, I don't know if I remember like that phone call. But I do remember that feeling that summer, that track that I would feel like I would need to ask my mom permission because I, you know, didn't want to let her down or whatever. I don't know. I, I really resonate with that. I certainly went through my own experience with that. And I actually find that that is something that a lot of people struggle with when they are starting to feel what I would say, sort of like an inner call or your. Howard Thurman calls it the voice of the genuine, like the the inner voice inside of you that knows, that's guiding you, Mm -hmm. starts to tell you something. But when people are starting to hear that voice, I think something that can really stand in their way is this feeling of letting the people in their life down who've supported them on one path. And like, I mean, I remember feeling so bad, like my parents had really sacrificed so much financially for me to go to these programs and we never had the money and they just always have helped pulled it together. So I remember feeling a ton of guilt as well. And I think the thing we sometimes get wrong there is we think that the job of sort of every dream is to complete it in sort of the traditional way that we yeah. are taught. But the way I really look at, at dreams is just that like they're containers for us to express our purpose and for us to become who we are. Mm-hmm. So Sometimes you only need the dream to a certain point and you evolve as much as you need and you get what you sort of came from that particular project and then you move on to the next one. But it doesn't mean that it's not part of who you are. You know, it wasn't a waste. And I think our teenage selves sometimes are thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm letting everybody down. Oh, I think that's so valuable. It's just part of your gestation as a person, as a soul. It's just, And you learn things within there and you develop certain skills while you're there. But it doesn't mean it has to be the end game. And it doesn't have to be who you are. I think that's where the culture just like slabs on all this pressure. Like, go for your dreams. Don't give it up and all this. And, you know, which is true. It's absolutely true. But I listened to your TED Talk and... You put it very well there. And I think it's, you're kind of saying the same thing here. It's listen to what the dreams have to tell you for now. And it doesn't mean you can't take a left turn or a right turn. Yeah. And I think that we can be put under so much pressure of that narrative that I am this, I am a dancer, I am a founder. We get really attached to these identities And I think something that has really liberated me, I still use those titles because it helps the world enter our work and understand who we are. But something that has really helped me is like our souls, the real work we've come to do and the gifts we've come to offer can come out in all kinds of different ways. And actually, I believe they're going to come out in whatever we're doing. So of course, we can find the containers that are like inspiring to us and and interesting and and how we want to spend our days. But the purpose is much bigger than like those titles. So something that a lot of people I work with struggle with is how to make space for all of those parts of who you are. And my answer to that is we need all of those parts of who you are, even if right now you're using a particular title or expression. Yeah. And also I might just be restating something that you said, but going back to what you're talking about when you're at any age, but particularly in my experience when I was a teenager and I felt like I had to ask mom for permission to not be a ballerina. It's because you think you are that, like your identity. That's a prime time because in our teens, 
it's a whole identity crisis, right? And I guess it just takes kind of the unraveling of like everything that happens after that to really get to the core of it. And I'm feeling so like affirmed and inspired just even talking about it because we kind of constantly have to give ourselves that permission. Like a hundred <laughs> times a day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's fascinating, right? That we have to give ourselves permission to be who we are. Yeah. yeah. What is that? So crazy. Well, this is such an interesting triangular discussion here because from the parent point of view and, and Liz, you're a young parent and Emma, you're not a parent yet. And I've been a parent for a good while now. And I raised three kids, each of whom we encouraged from a very young age to be and do whatever they wanted to do. And so you think you're giving this emotional freedom and then, but without knowing it, like Emma felt at some point, she felt like trapped or guilty by this thing. You know, I don't think we did that to her, did we? Did we do that to her by driving her to ballet a hundred thousand times? While she was in middle school, I don't know. Shout out to all the parents that are, well, I know not right now, but even if you're shepherding your child to Zoom lessons right yeah. now, doing that. And that is beautiful work. No, I think some discoveries I've made in the last several years of my work is how strong and pervasive the cultural messages are yes. around, you know, all of us in this circle share identities as women. But for those of us, you know, whatever your outward facing identity is to the world, the culture tells you what that means. Mm. And I think that so much of my daily work is really unraveling those cultural messages that I don't believe are the ones that are going to get us to the next chapter of our collective evolution. But it's a lot of undoing at this yeah. moment in time. And guess what? Yeah, what you just said, it's a lot of undoing. The rules have really changed over the last decade. And the old narrative just doesn't fit anymore. And in my experience, I can you know, look back to when my children were coming of age around the time of the financial crisis of 2008. And when, you know, suddenly a college degree didn't really mean what it used to mean. And so in terms of, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to be? You know, what career are you going to choose? All that sort of started looking really different. And now COVID and post-COVID it's really different. And so we're kind of out here like, what are the rules anymore? And, mm -hmm. you know, employment versus career versus dreams and passions and all that. Does that all even go together anymore? I don't know. I think I don't know is the right approach. I really think we're in a new gestation phase right now. Yeah. You use that word like, you know, and we're so many fascinating metaphors between yeah. the creative process and process of how living things evolve. And so I think we're in that primordial soup moment. Yeah. The new rules are not in form yet. You know, we're all sort of making them as we go. So I think it's like in a really an extraordinarily exciting time to be alive and also challenging because what we're still running on in our nervous systems are the old rules. Even if most of us, they weren't written for us. Yeah. We've just sort of absorbed them and we don't even know right. that they're there sometimes because they're so like deeply programmed. Absolutely. I agree. I've been sort of thinking the same thing. Like these are really extraordinary times we're living in. These are times when in a way we get to write the rules you know, we get to reimagine what it's like to go out there in the world with your passions and do something. And then like, oh, but how do you make a living? You know, that's kind of the old message. But then it's like, what's a living? I even think that making a living, even that's changing. Like, Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think the entire landscape, we're now in an age of ideas, like ideas are currency and they're, yeah, it's, it's all changed so much. And I think, I don't know, hearing you say that, I was thinking, it really is one of my favorite parts about what I do is sitting with a group of people or sitting with somebody and watching that moment when we realize that this rule that I've been living by is actually not mine, not designed for me, and I don't have to follow it. Like that freedom, and it's like a crack. It's like a moment. There's usually goosebumps. And then it's like, Okay, so then what? You know, then what are we going to build when when this is no longer the operating principle? What's the operating principle you want? What's the operating principle you'd want like a young person listening to this conversation to hear? It's really extraordinary and exciting and intimidating. 
And I think it's actually very feminine. I don't know too much like about feminine, masculine energies, and I don't know the science behind it, but I do know just with whatever part of me that knows that it's a more feminine way of being than what has been, which has been more masculine. And I think that it's more community minded and we're relying on each other more in ways that maybe we were like maybe the industrial revolution or however in the past century we've grown apart before we were more together but at this moment it's so strange because we're all so separate and in our own zoom boxes and at least six feet away but I think we're more dependent on each other than ever because we're like figuring these things out together and I don't know how you do that alone I guess I'm saying this because I want you to talk about the collective, how your whole mission in bringing women creators together and just how even the act of togetherness is so important to all of this. Thank you for that frame that it is wild that in this time when we are so isolated, logistically speaking, Mm -hmm. we're all waking up to the myth of the individual is really... yeah holding us captive and, and really causing so much harm in our societies. Just before this call, I was actually leading a greater studio for the collective. And I read this in Adrienne Marie Brown's Emergent Strategy, which is one of the guiding thought sets that I work with. You know, I've been thinking about nature so much preparing for this conversation today. She was talking about how the roots of certain types of trees are commingle. So the roots of the tree next to the other tree are actually intertwined with each other. So underneath the surface, they're collaborating. And I was saying to everyone in the Creator Studio, like, that's what I think we're doing here. So so Creator Studio is one of the ways we gather, which is actually like a time for you to do your creative work in your space, but we're all together doing it. It helps people to have the energy of the group. But I'm like, it's not just like, oh, yay, community. It's like your roots are intertwined. I really believe that's happening. So there's a lot happening behind the scenes here. And your work, your voices, your ideas, they are actually in conversation with each other and they are co-flourishing and co-creating and sort of making that space to grow together. I believe that so much. You might've read the book by Elizabeth Gilbert, Big Magic where she talks about this concept of an idea being like its own entity. And the idea is out there and it's going to land with somebody. It's going to land with the person who is able to bring it into form. And she tells this incredible story. I won't give it away, but how she had an idea for a book And she worked with it for a while and the book kind of slipped away from her. And then she had a good friend, another writer friend, who's also very well known. And the friend said, oh, I'm working on a new book. And the book is, and she described it and she goes, and she had this aha moment. That was the idea she had been working on. She had decided not to bring it into the form. So this other author had received the idea. So that sounds kind of woo-woo. But I think that's kind of what you're talking about, Liz, like, like these ideas are out there and we're like trees. And I've heard this thing about trees too, that the roots go, you know, they go like over the whole earth. And so all these trees are connected and they might be across the globe. I mean, look, we're talking to you in Australia and these ideas are being exchanged, communication between these amazing plants. And this is science. This is not just, you know, fluffy stuff. Oh, it's so exciting to try to apply that to what's going on now. During this time of COVID, we're not traveling from place to place to meet up with people. We're doing it virtually, which everybody's kind of complaining about and they're tired of it and everything. But in a way, does that free us up? It certainly frees up our time. Mm. It gives us more time maybe for imagination, maybe more time for reflection about what's going on. I know for me personally, like, The time that I have gained from not driving to meetings or, you know, driving here and there to meet up with people. I know COVID is really rough in many aspects, but the gift of time and the gift of not having to be physically present for everything you do has been really big and I think has been a real boon to my own creativity. And I also think we've been forced to think about time differently because of so much unknown. I think it's been part of the shedding of the, I would call it patriarchal kind of productivity rat race. It's kind of been an opportunity to step back from that a little bit. 
Yeah. I mean, I think like you're saying, Mary, people are complaining about what this is doing to us. And and I really am here for that because I think there are so many challenges, but it is also requiring us to get comfortable with feminine principles of fluidity, like time fluidity Mm -hmm. and uncertainty and mystery. Mm -hmm. And as you're saying, Emma, like we need both energies. We need the energy of the masculine and the feminine. And those are not energies that are restricted to gender by any means. They're just two, right. you know, two ways of talking about the opposite forces in our lives. And we've been so wildly out of balance. Yeah. And I certainly think that this time is helping people realize the need for that, what we might call feminine, more fluid, more expansive, more undefined. And what I would argue too is more natural. It's nature. It's nature. <laughs> it's good dirt. <laughs> yeah, good dirt. Right. <laughs> All these things you all have been saying for years now, it's like, (laughs) hello. (laughs) Well, I will throw in this little tidbit. You know, time as in the nine to five and and hours on the clock and everything, that was really kind of invented with with the industrial revolution as a way of like maximizing productivity of humans in a task. You got to get to the assembly line at the same time or it won't work. (laughs) And uh, you have to have a way of measuring the productivity. So... And that is an extremely prevalent example of the you know patriarchal structure of the way a society works. And people are still working, but a lot of that business has been removed. That structure was built by men. Yes. And yeah. it is more harmonious with a male hormonal system. Yeah. So for years, yeah. I was like, all these women were just complaining of the same things over and over in their creative practice. And it was like, they tried to do this entrepreneurial habit structure or whatever is sort of told to you to do on the internet. And they're having trouble with procrastination and they're feeling the imposter syndrome all day. And so I just was hearing this like over and over and over. And I was like, okay, if every woman I know is in some way struggling with the same thing, this is not her. This is the ecosystem Mm -hmm. that grew her. (laughs) And I think that really starting to realize the way we measure time, the way we organize our time and relate to time has been just in a masculine lens and made for a masculine body. What a space of exploration we now as women get to do. What do we want? What does your ideal creative day look like? What does your meeting structure look like? Oh, this is so on target with a program within our almanac by Sharon Bailey of the Glow Emporium. and. She was talking this exact same thing, how our entire system, economic system, is based on the male physical hormonal rhythm, which is a 24-hour day. Yeah, I just learned this. It's 24 hours is the male hormone cycle. That's crazy. And ours is a month. Ours is a lunar cycle. Yes, and Mm -hmm. she's coaching women in this whole, like, you know, get to know what your cycle is, your productivity cycle. and. It is so rich and so awesome. And um, we had a, you know, a bunch of women there at this program that were like, oh, wow. And, you know, they're going to start tracking what their own energy cycles are. And it was a similar experience, Liz, to what you're saying. Everyone was like, what? Wait, I'm not the only one who feels this way. It's like, it's like we've been like, that's one thing. But then the other part that's shady is it's like, how come we're just now talking about this? Right. <laughs> How come no one told me that my cycle is the rhythm? Like that's going to tell me my body actually is the rhythm. We got the wrong yeah. memos. Yeah. We got some really yeah. crappy memos. Yeah. And we were talking about it in the same program how like in the, I guess, 70s and 80s and 90s or whenever that women were so excited that they got to go out in the world and act like men. And then it started like not working and they're going, hey, well, what's the matter here? You know, we get these great jobs and we get all these opportunities, but, you know, something's still not jiving. And here we are and getting well into the 21st century. And a lot of the old structures are crumbling now. And we're going like, hey, you know, I think we're onto something. <laughs> we are. Let me tell you about what it's like to drift to sleep on a 100% natural wool pillow sourced from regenerative farms wrapped in a lovingly handmade organic cotton pillowcase. Oh wait, I can't. I think it's just something you're going to have to try for yourself. 
Holy Lamb Organics is proud to carry on a centuries-old tradition of making beautiful textile products by hand. Combining heritage methods with pristine natural and organic materials and sustainable business practices, they bring a dedication to healthy living and the environment. Everything Holy Lamb does reflects their devotion to the planet and its inhabitants. From their supply chain to their manufacturing processes to their facilities management, nothing happens without considering the environmental impact. Most importantly, they're also dedicated to fair labor practices, secure working conditions, diversity, and inclusion. From the farm to the mill to their partner manufacturers, everyone shares the same high ideals of a safe, respectful workplace and environmentally conscious methods. Making good products enables them to do good work. Every time we order something from Holy Lamb Organics, we're proud to support a small town made in America company. You can find Holy Lamb Organics in the Lady Farmer Marketplace. For additional marketplace discounts, you can join the Almanac, our member-supported community platform. Find Holy Lamb Organics products including pillows, sheets, natural wool comforters, and more in the bedding section of the Lady Farmer Marketplace at www.ladyfarmer.com. So I believe the creative process is biological. It's our right as humans. It's what we're here to do. And yet I work with women. So, so many women struggle in the creative process and particularly like finishing their work or getting to the work that matters the most. And I really just, you know, like, first of all, we weren't taught to have a sovereign and harmonious relationship with our creative process. Most of us, the creative process, if we grew up learning about creativity in some way, there was a person in power who was in control in some way. So who said like, you know, once we go to school, usually, you know, when you're age two to age five, it can be this like really sort of fertile time. But then once you start getting into a lot of the places where we learn how to be creative, who was on somebody else's term, and they would say like, oh, that work was good, or that work was bad, or, you know, here's what's right, or here's what's wrong. And we don't learn how to be leading that or guiding it or having what I would say like a really collaborative relationship with our creative voices. And so that's what I am so wild about is like, what's going to happen? And I think this is the work of our generation. Like as we restore what I believe is a biological process to particularly this group of our world, women and underrepresented voices and people who have been taught that their job is to serve somebody else's voice as opposed to to source their own. What is going to happen? What is the world our children are going to live in when it was built by people who have restored their relationship with their creativity in that way, who've been told for centuries that your job is to elevate or to nurture or to nourish someone else's voice. And for many of us, historically, we've literally been persecuted and ridiculed and harmed, you know, when we do share our voice. And that's like really rooted back into all the stories in our collective history. Oh, wow. This is such great stuff. And I really resonate with what you're saying. Like, what's the world going to be like as we're learning and and embracing these new rules, so to speak? I find myself thinking sometimes, oh, I was born in the wrong era. You know, (laughs) here I am two-thirds the way through my life. I'm in my 60s. Hopefully I have another good 30 years left like my parents. But it's so exciting to think of what's to come and where this is all going to go. I mean, it's just really thrilling to me. I sort of struggle with the feeling and I kind of missed it. (laughs) Oh, or or you're a futurist. Yeah, I think that's what you are. (laughs) Well, okay. What does it feel like to be a futurist? It's like, oh, I want to be like 25 right now instead of 63, you know? Oh, so that you have all this to look forward to. I, I want to like ride like, this way, you know, not to whine. But you have. Well, you forged <laughs> it. Yeah. You made me. I know. <laughs> oh, I once had a coach that said, you're the next generation is always like a step ahead like, in kind of an evolutionary way of where you were. Oh, I see that so much in Emma. I mean, if I knew the things that age 30 that she knows now are the understanding, like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. I have also felt that. Yeah. About Emma, where you are at 30. Oh my God. Yeah, really. I can't wait to see what you do in your next decade because you've done so much foundational work. And also you have just like made so much in like a short 
time. I can't wait to see what's next for you. Thanks to like the amazing women that I have around me, like you guys, to shepherd that. I mean, yeah, kind of back to what you were saying about this intertwined communityness, which, you know, I was also thinking as we were talking about that earlier is like very not capitalist. Not that I want to go like anti-capitalism because that's a whole (laughs) other podcast, but it's just a whole different way of thinking about everything. Like, think what's happening here is we are becoming so acutely aware of this like square peg round hole world that we've like made for ourselves. Do you know and, what my yeah. first line in a play was? What? It was round souls don't fit into square bodies or something. It's a Ben Franklin quote. And now I don't remember exactly what it is. Okay. But my first play ever was called Frankly Franklin about Ben Franklin. <laughs> and my whole life, I have felt like the odd one out. Like I've just always felt like I'm on the outside a window and everyone's inside of a room and they're all hanging out and they all know this secret. And I am just like over here doing something else. Yeah. And I realized in one of the blessings of my work is I listen to people talk all day long and I realized like most everybody I'm interested in feels that way too. So again, yeah. what's the <laughs> ecosystem we were raised in? I just think it's so cosmic that that was my first little moment of speech on stage. I was so nervous for that line. We're going to look that up and put that in the show notes because that's really cool. Yeah, (laughs) that's a great quote. I want to talk about like slow living and creativity for me personally and for anyone who knows my mom and I and this brand, they understand that creativity is a huge part of slow living. And that might not be one of the most like obvious things that people think of first. So I'm curious as to how you think creativity and slow living are connected. Well, something that I try and then fail and then try again to live my life and work by is that how we make something is as important as the thing that we make. And that how we make something is a place where we design and build the new world. So I have my best friend as a teacher of first and second graders. And she said to me a while ago, like, we can't control what's going on outside of us, but I can control the rules and the environment of this classroom. And I can make the ideal environment for the future in this classroom. And I've been a part of all kinds of creative processes in my life of all varieties. And I think that the kinds that I'm most interested in are the ones that we're building the future we want to live in our creative process. I directed theater for a while, like how that room feels, the way we're treating each other, how we're taking breaks, how we're resting, air that we're breathing in that room, it's all going to affect the product. And the way I was raised in most environments is it doesn't matter what you do, just get that great product out into the world. And I feel like Mm -hmm. that is so part of what you all are doing. And I love learning more about, from your perspective, what soul living is. But for me, that it's about how do we remember the creative process? Because I actually think that we know, like I just birthed a baby. Like I was reminded that we all have it inside of us. We know exactly how to make a thing. Yeah. But how we talk to each other as we go how we behave in the process, I think, is the thing that was not ever talked about in my training. We can go back to like, you know, when I was a ballerina, like they didn't care how you lost the weight, just lose the weight. The fact that that was not, I mean, first of all, I shouldn't have been losing weight at age 10 anyway, but the fact that no one talked to me about that, I think is wrong. And that's really what I spend my time thinking about. Yeah, I really love that. I haven't thought about that like, The process of something, which is the most important part of something, truly, is like the slow part. (laughs) It's very slow. And if you're truly present in a process, that's slow living. The process is what people actually crave anyway. People say they want the book deal or the film to get into the festival. And you think you want that accolade. Yeah. But I've heard enough people Mm -hmm. say to me, like, I'm here and it doesn't feel like what I thought it was going to feel like. And actually, I just have a whole new set of problems. And so I think the process, that's the joy. That's actually what we crave when we long for our next creative thing. And I think that's something that's so innate. I mean, besides the fact that we're humans and we need food and food comes out of the soil. But I think that's something that's so satisfying about growing things and getting your hands dirty and everything we talk about here at Lady Farmer, about just getting more in sync with the rhythms of nature, even if you're not a gardener or 
farmer. But just like recognizing that as the days get shorter and it gets darker, you might like live a more hibernated kind of life. And it might, you know, just like just rhythms of life as nature tells us to live them that we have grown so far away from. So, and just talking about sustainability, like I'm really interested in how people can create sustainable paths in the creative industries and not these paths that have seen so many people. And we'll, we'll go through periods of burnout and that's a whole other conversation. There's great work being done around burnout right now, but I don't really care if you make something amazing, but you've sacrificed your body and all of your relationships to make it. I mean, actually, I care. I think it's harming all of us. Yeah. So what we have to do is get curious about, well, what would it take for this to be sustainable? Yeah. And yeah, of course, we're going to have those periods of sprint and we're going to work a lot. And that's actually exciting. But I grew up with two parents who were artists and arts administrators. They're bodies and our household took the hit because they needed to just get the shows up and make the money and they were doing the best that they could but you know if we're all here to evolve our parents stories and our, our the stories of our lineage like okay that's the environment we grew up in but every time my mom would finish a week of concerts she would say I just I cannot wait for this to be over you know, her, yeah. her concerts would happen on the yeah. weekends and she would say, I've just got to get through the weekend. And I'm not throwing my mom under the bus. Like she loved, yeah, loves yeah. her work. She's been a professional musician for 30 years. But I remember thinking, what is it about what's going on here that is making her not even want to be in the moment that she's in? And I think it was yeah. because she was also raising the money and like in the early days, setting up the chairs. And that's, you know, we have to cultivate mm-hmm. that hustle. But I also think that no one gave her permission to say like, no, actually you as the artistic director of this ensemble, your well-being matters too. And, you know, our, there's the phrase, the starving artist, isn't that telling about the, of the cultural yeah. messages? Yeah. There's just so much packed into those two words. Like if you want to be an artist, which is, you know, a creative person, that is not going to sustain yeah. you. You will starve. The lineage around that is really deep and, and artists have suffered in so many ways. So I think, you know, we are inheriting a culture of suffering. But I also think this generation is really decided that the starving artist is yes. not working out. And so, you know, this part of my career began because I was like, I have all of these degrees in the arts and no one taught me a, to have a relationship with my creativity, B, to have well-being, and then C, to the other part of my work is really to like run a business because you run a business as a creative and that's part of yeah. the sustainability part that it's actually okay to think about how am I going to sustain here? It's actually necessary. Thank you for saying that. It's so crazy how groundbreaking that is. And I be really honest here because it's like I can sit here talking about it all and it's like amazing to talk about. I encounter this every single day as the owner of a business, honestly, because every day I see myself, oh, well, let me just work several more hours because that's how like I can sacrifice myself so that we can get this Mm -hmm. landing page up or whatever it is. Right. And, you know, I have a little team and I've seen myself ask them to work more or to really compromise or go against the things I'm telling in the women in the collective. And I have to check mm-hmm. myself and be like, what patterns are you repeating here? We were not born to repeat the patterns. We're born to evolve them. And I can't tell everyone else to evolve them and then not do it myself. Running a small business is hard. As you too know. Girl, you're talking to the choir. <laughs> <laughs> la, la, la. slow living step one right is awareness right and thank you for your honesty and I mean in the same boat and being honest with yourself probably is the hardest thing to do first and we are just like this little baby we're we're getting her on her feet but I don't know the the next step is like us and figuring out how we're gonna make it sustainable my head's about to fall off over here because I'm nodding so much about everything you're saying Liz (laughs) (laughs) what does the good dirt mean to you Literally or metaphorically? I love metaphors. So thank you for the question. I'm thinking about this in two ways. The way I often think is there's sort of the really micro granular level and then there's the larger level. So on a micro level, 
I'm thinking about good dirt as what are the conditions that you need? Because in the creative process, we can't control the plant. Wow. But we can control how much water we're giving it and, you know, where we're putting it in the room. So sometimes when I'm working with people on their creative processes, it feels so basic. It's like, well, where do you need us to sit? You know, do you want to walk first or do you want to write, you know, in the mornings or the afternoons? And it can feel like, duh. But that's really all we can control is the conditions of the room, how you're going to talk to yourself as you do it, when you're going to do it. So I think of the good dirt as like, what are those ideal conditions? Who are you surrounding yourself with? And then I also think that really the good dirt means acknowledging that you are the good dirt and there's no like good dirt outside of you. Mm. You have everything you need to make what you were born to make. And we often think like, I need the secret or I need this mentor or I need this money. We need the money to make the thing sometimes. But actually, I mean, you two talk about it so much. It's like you're standing on the thing that you need. Like the dirt is you. So you have what you need. And then when I look at it collectively, I think, how are we making good dirt for the voices that have not been represented and allowed to flourish now get to sing and shine Mm -hmm. and be the stories and the voices that shape our future? And I think we can think about that in classrooms and in boardrooms and in any community that we're in. How am I making good dirt for the voices that matter the most right now and the voices that we haven't been hearing from for hundreds of years. That's a good answer. So Liz, I also love to hear people kind of leave us with what they most want people to understand about the work that they do. Yeah, I think I just said it. Yeah. There's no secret formula other than you. And that's sometimes the hardest thing to remember. You mean I'm not missing anything? I don't need like... (laughs) A certification? <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, you're talking to a real <laughs> obsessive course. By- Learner is one of my top strengths. I'm like a moth to a flame. <laughs> I'm also a moth to a flame. And like, you know, I'm that person who at the grocery store, like when we used to go to grocery stores, like if we're in Sephora, I'm in the line. By the time I get to the cash register, I've picked up 10 things on the way. Because yes. Like every marketer's target. But really... <laughs> In a lot of ways, the way we're still marketing is we're marketing to a myth that you're broken. And that's what I think the field of marketing has such an interesting question ahead of them because it's like, how do we stop doing that? And still, we make things and it's part of the process to make things and and give them. Like if if everything really is a gift, like that's our job, you know, we have to market things. But how do we stop marketing things, reinforcing this thing that has caused so much harm to so many people? I am broken. I need this product made whole. Like we are whole. When I first heard that in my coach training, I remember (laughs) the day they said, one of our values is that you are whole and simultaneously moving towards your next wholeness. And it blew my mind. I was like, wait, I couldn't believe it. It was like somebody hit me over the head. And I think I spend my lifetime every day, like a hundred times a day, remembering that I'm whole and everything is just an exploration of the next kind of wholeness. We had this discussion uh, on our podcast about the beauty industry and beauty products with Melitza Maori. And she said the exact same thing. Like the whole industry is based on like you're broken. Your beauty needs help. You need help being a beautiful person. So here are a gazillion products that you need to buy. It's the same in the Mm -hmm. self-development industry. I mean, Mm -hmm. I am such a consumer of it. And also, I don't really believe Mm -hmm. in self-help because, again, you don't need that course or you don't need that book to make you whole. Now, they can be guides. We need guides. And I think that's really important. But there is a shift when whatever the guidance or product is given to you, not as answer to, you know, what's cracked in you. Yeah. It's all about like seeking the fix. Yeah. We're whole culture of like, we want to fix our weight. We want to fix our skin. We want to fix our career. We want to fix our relationships. We, everything wants to be fixed. And going back to the principle yeah. that's not feminine, like we don't actually want to be fixed. My husband, that's the way his brain works sometimes. So like, I'll have an issue and he'll like trying to solve the thing. And I'm like, I'm not in a solving place. I actually am not in a strategy fixing moment. (laughs) And it's a big revelation to say, I'm not asking you for an answer right right now. I'm just like talking. (laughs) And it's okay for you not to have something that will fix this for me at this moment. Yeah, it's huge for us. This is why I find such endless richness in the creative process because it over and over and over, we are asked to be in the uncomfortable place of not having the Mm. answers. And parts of our brain that don't want that. There are parts of our brain that need us 
to have an answer to survive. And so I think that's like this really interesting question around evolution, like how comfortable are we in those spaces of not knowing? You know, you've heard the expression in chaos is creativity. Like, you know, there's chaos in the universe or whatever, and that's where ideas and solutions get formed. And when you think about the evolution of humans, they have problems and things they need to fix. And, you know, humans are ingenious and we come up with great solutions. And you think <laughs> the about fork. the wheel, think about fire, you know, think about the fork, think about things that float on the water. I mean, like, you know, for eons and eons, we figured out these problems to things that were difficult. And now we're at a state in our human history when we're really, you know, needing to find solutions to our solutions. Mm. (laughs) I love that. That's so true. It's so true. Yeah. As you were talking, I was thinking about going back to slow living. I think I'm feeling more and more with the way that the internet works and the digital age, you know, the, the creative process has been so sped up. Like, you know, if you're making an Instagram post, you do experience a complete creative process in that moment. Like you do yeah. go through the fertile void. You don't know what you're going to do. And then you make it and then you shape and polish it. And then you put it out there, even if it's like super sped up. But because most of us are doing that now on a daily basis, multiple times a day, A, I feel like it's missing some of the gems of, of what it really means to be in process. We're not getting enough time to be in that messy place, which can sort of do crazy things to our mind. And it's making us more and more uncomfortable with longer creative processes. Like people just have a harder yeah. time writing a book because like they're used to just getting that quick hit of affirmation right away. And so, you know, that's part of my slow living is returning us to a process that is longer. There is less feedback in that kind of quick hit internet way right away. Yeah. Back in the 90s and the early 2000s when we were still living in Georgia and I had in self a very good friend. She's Bonzart on Instagram. Lynn well, Felton, she's a wonderful <laughs> painter. We would talk on the phone a lot. That was back when you pick up the phone and call your friend. You know, you didn't have to text and ask permission if you could call. <laughs> you just called. Anyway, we would call it. We would talk about like, how is this going for you? How's your painting going? She'd say, how's your writing going? And we would talk about our process and how we were structuring our day. And we would always say something like, this is my process from now on. And of course, it would last like two or three weeks or whatever. But (laughs) we were talking like this for 20 years. And we laugh now. We used to say, you just need big, wide time. You just need a lot of time to really spread your wings and do your creative thing. And it's not the book or the painting that comes out at the end of it, like you were saying earlier. It is like being in the process. And when you get there, oh my goodness, when you get there, when you're really in the process, you're really in the zone, what a thrill, what a joy. I mean, and you're so right when you say we don't give ourselves time to like be in that zone anymore. That is the reward. And I've written a few books and I know that it does take a long, long time. I've had an idea for a novel that takes 10 years to develop or whatever. And then you write the thing and you put it out there and not much happens. That's kind of really okay with me now. You know, it's okay. I don't have to be like, you know, famous author. You don't have to be like a starving artist <laughs> to like understand this space. Yeah. And I mean, it can happen cooking and it can happen like caring for your child. I mean, it, you don't have to be making a piece of mm-hmm. art. This is the human thing. Yes. It is being human to discover that. Well, I feel like this has been a big old therapy session (laughs) for me. (laughs) This has been really, really awesome conversation. Liz, I think we're going to have to revisit these things again somewhere down the line. I'd love a part two. And I just want to honor the two of you. I love that you are a mother and daughter team. I am so interested about making art with our parents. I made a show with my dad last year and I want to know everything about what it's like for the two of you. It's really so beautiful what you're doing. We could talk about that on our next podcast. I can't wait. Thank you so much for being here, Liz. This has been so wonderful and I can't wait to talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Liz. Bye-bye. So Emma, what are you going to do with all of this great stuff we talked about today? What am I going to do with it? Well, I guess I'm going to take a minute to remember when I start to get frustrated that, what does this say? We're already whole. I already have it all. (laughs) That's helpful. (laughs) It's all inside me. (laughs) 
And really, too, I really, I mean, something that I just need to remind myself 20,000 times every day is that it's all about the process of it. It's not, I don't, I, I truly believe that we don't actually want to get to where we think we want to get. We want to do the thing to get there. That's the part that's enjoyable. And if you aren't present, if you aren't s- slow living, if you aren't mindful as you do those things, you just miss that part. And then you get to the thing you think you want and you're like, where did it go? So I want to hang on to that new sense of time that has been a part of the COVID year. We talked about that in this episode, that time mm-hmm. has taken on kind of a different meaning framework. And I, I want to hang on to some of that. I want to hang on to some of that realization because I think it's been really, really helpful in my own creative work. So I would urge other listeners too, to think about the last year plus now and how your experience of time and your day and the things you are able to do um, that maybe you didn't have time to do before or things have restructured. What do you want to take forward from that and make it a more permanent part of your life in a post-COVID world? Absolutely. Thank you for tuning in, calling in, and spreading the good dirt. We love hearing from you. You can reach our listener voicemail at 443-459-1950. That's 443-459-1950. You can find this number in our show notes and in our Instagram profile. This show is produced by Lady Farmer, a slow living lifestyle community. And the original music is composed and performed by John Kingsley. For more from Lady Farmer, follow us on Instagram at WeAreLadyFarmer. That's WeAreLadyFarmer. Or join us online at www.ladyfarmer.com. We'll see you next time on The Good Dirt. Goodbye.